is Geek Gab with your hosts, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, March 4th, 2017. I believe this is episode 89. 89 excellent, awesome, amazing episodes made solely for the joy of you, our audience. Today, our guest is podcaster, audiobook producer, voiceover artist, and uh, a number of other things listed on his blog, which I uh, I did decided not to read because I don't know that I would have enough time to read all of those things on the show and still get a show in. So I've included a link to his blog in the description so you can go and check out that long, long list of projects that he is involved in. Jim Fear 138. Now, despite a rumor that was passed around on Twitter, the 138 does not actually refer to the proof level of alcohol that he prefers to to consume. Just in case you are wondering, that rumor is false. <laughs> But it's, it's only show. it's only false because you can't find 138 proof liquor in America. Oh. Um, <laughs> before before we uh, start harassing Jim with all our questions, though, I want to pause for a second and give my fellow hosts a chance to say hi. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back. Good to have you on, Jim. What's good going on? Uh, it's 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 a good week for me. Uh, there's a there's a game release that I'm looking forward to. I hope to talk about it in future weeks, uh, for anybody who's um, who's interested in nostalgia. There's a, a Steam game that was just finished called River City Ransom Underground. Ooh! You guys you guys ever played the old River City Ransom on your Nintendo? Not on Nintendo, but I have played it. Oh, fantastic! They they redid it. That you know they added a bunch of characters, many combos and things. Uh, just just check it out on Steam. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a play, and I'll let you guys know next episode. Uh, so that's what I'm looking forward to. What's... Hi, uh... go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I insist. <laughs> I just started playing the Numenera video game, so I'm hoping that'll be good. Uh, it is thoroughly a role-playing game in which you wander around and every single NPC you talk to pretty much drops a new uh, quest in your lap and you also have heavy heavy item management which is starting to starting to wear thin for me I'll be honest but uh, I, uh, I hope it's a great game I really hope I enjoy it oh looking forward to talking about that next week uh, Numenera of course the RPG setting by Monty Cook um, it's based on the same system but it obviously they changed it for the video game so yeah very very strange setting so i'm hoping it's it's very very much inspired by jack vance books um now we're talking the dying earth uh, very much inspired by the dying earth the setting is although i it's more dungeons and dragons in ethos than pulp in ethos uh it's it's more even more cyberpunk necessarily in ethos it's not <coughs> Not as uh, action-packed as you might expect uh, hearing Jack Vance's name. Well, if, if you know the whole, if you know the background of, of Numenera and the people who are behind it and everything, that makes sense. 
Um, Mon Monty Cook, the guy behind uh, Numenera, is the guy who basically wrote Dungeons and Dragons three, uh, which yes. is great. Which, which was a great, if a little bit of a crunchy system, and uh, so that's quite a pedigree. Um, Brian is is Brian here? Has he talked? Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> He's decided to be the silent partner of the show now. Uh, Brian, are you doing okay? Sounds like you're under the weather today. Oh no, it's it's mainly just allergies, but uh, so was the fact that I was I was up late last night working on my project for Castalia House, so I got about three hours of sleep. Oh no. All right. Um, I have a story I want to tell before we let Jim talk, because this is the most internet story that has ever interneted. It's amazing. It's astounding. Those of you in the audience, you might have heard it. Nintendo just released a new console, the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> who's, uh, whose unofficial mascot, by the way, is a little dog, because apparently the two Switch controllers look like dog's ears when you put them together and stuff. And Nintendo is apparently upset because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fan art about the dog and a lot of. I only read the headline, so I don't know. I haven't verified this. I don't want to verify this because there are just some things I'm happier not knowing. Apparently, Nintendo is upset because there's a lot of quote unquote sexy art of the dog. Now, <laughs> I don't. That's not really pertinent to the rest of the story. I'm just throwing it out there to show you exactly what the internet is like, so you can prepare your mind for the glory that is the rest of this story. So, Nintendo made the switch, and they're gaining cartridges, which used to be huge, right? They used to be about half the size of a paperback novel back when I was young. But their gaming cartridges now are the size of SD cards, which are basically slightly larger than a postage stamp. They make this new console with SD cards as cartridges, and the problem is, and this is wise of them to anticipate the problem. I'm not criticizing Nintendo for anticipating a problem. They fought ahead and said, you know what? SD cards are small and they constitute, as quarters do, a choking hazard for children. And so we want to be responsible as a company to ensure that children do not choke on our SD card gaming cartridges. So what they did, and this is brilliant, what they did is they found the worst tasting chemical in the world. Like literally the worst tasting chemical you can put in your mouth without dying immediately afterwards. This is the most foul substance in existence. It has been specifically engineered to be bad tasting. And more than that, it lingers. You put it in your mouth, and not only does it taste bad, it tastes bad for apparently up to several hours afterwards, no matter what else you eat. So Nintendo has a safety feature. And the internet, because it's the internet, the very first thing they do when they get a hold of these cartridges with the worst, most foulest tasting chemical in existence, what they do is they lick them. <laughs> they lick 
them. Now, I don't know how that conversation went because I can't imagine being part of that conversation. Hey, this is the worst thing in existence. I imagine it's kind of like that line from Dumb and Dumber. Do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Well, the obvious answer is no. I do not want to hear the most annoying sound in the world. And likewise, if someone holds out a copy of Zelda and says, do you want to taste the worst taste in all of human existence? My immediate response is not going to be, hell yes, give me some of that. Just, <laughs> I must be crazy because there's many people whose response was, well, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what the worst taste in the world actually tastes like. So if you're wondering, people commenting about the switch, about the cartridges, about licking the cartridges, that's where it comes from. It is the Internet. So that's my story I wanted to share because I thought it was the most Internet-y thing ever. I mean, I, I you know, I'm kind of dumb, so I'm not any any kind of standard for anybody but I, i'm kind of curious as to what the taste is like but i wouldn't <laughs> lick the cartridge you know <laughs> maybe like lick my finger and rub it on the cartridge and then lick my finger again just to see what it is like i wouldn't be sticking a zelda game in my mouth or anything like that like i, I don't know what's going through these people's heads just, oh, oh this tastes really bad well the first thing i'm gonna do is obviously put this in my mouth brilliant <laughs> I would, even if I wanted to taste it just out of sheer curiosity, I would take steps to limit my exposure. Mm -hmm. So I was getting just like a minimal amount of exposure, not, you know, not live testing to see what it was like to be a five-year-old kid who put <laughs> it in his mouth. I just, call me crazy. So. All right. Uh, Jim has been talking, folks. Go ahead, and Jim. Introduce, introduce yourself to the audience here. Uh, uh, hi, everybody. I'm uh, Jim Fear 138. Uh, I'm not really anybody special, so I'm kind of baffled as to why y'all want to have me on the show. But I'm happy to be here nonetheless, and I'm grateful to you guys for inviting me on. Um, it's been it's been a lot of fun so far, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the show. But I'm an uh, audiobook producer primarily. I used to be a YouTuber. Uh, and I, I got into uh, creepypasta narration back when I was just doing YouTube as a hobby while I was in college. And I really enjoyed telling these stories. Uh, I really had no idea what I was doing technical-wise, but the the actual act of telling stories to people on the internet was really, really fun to me. Um, and I would try to set it up where it would be, you know, not just some guy reading a story with creepy music in the background. Like, I would add sound effects and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I got out of college, and I kept doing that for a while, and my my YouTube uh, quote unquote career uh, kind of fell off for a while. And then I started doing uh, audiobooks because a friend of mine introduced me to uh, the audiobook creation exchange, which is run by Amazon, which is how they get most of their audiobooks for uh, Audible. Um, and I saw, I saw that and I was like, yeah, I could probably do this as a career. I mean, I already have the microphone set up and everything, so why not? And I got a couple of jobs that way. And I put out like five books last year. Um, three on, they're all on Audible, but three of them are through ACX, and the other two were a commission from Aaron Clary. Uh, 
and then things, you know, over the course of last year, things really started to come together and um, I'm doing audiobooks on the side now. Uh, and I also work with uh, Laughably Dapper, mm, excuse me, uh, Laughably Dapper, which is a, uh, they're, they're trying to put together a comedy podcast uh, with like superheroes and it's, it's like a parody of like Marvel and DC and they do like a, a Guardians of the Galaxy parody and you know, they have this, uh, this comedy horror thing set in the far future that they're doing. Um, so it's, it's going to be really good once we finally get everything nailed down. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I just, I do a weekly podcast. Um, I do book reviews, uh, and that's, that's kind of about it. I, I also, uh, talk a lot of smack on Twitter. <laughs> now, um, I, I just, I'm curious, this isn't necessarily pertinent to anything, but are you actually drinking right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's it's a little bit early for me, but this is a special occasion, so I figured why not. Are you technically drunk right now or just, you know, a little bit buzzed? Just just a little bit buzzed. I mean, I, I can get drunk if you want. I got the bottle right here. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was just curious. I Because I will admit, and I don't know how I found the time to do this, but I listened to your entire podcast with Jeffro. Oh yeah, that was that was so much fun to put together. Which, by the way, thanks again, Jeffro, for coming on. That was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Oh, I, I'm going to throw this out, folks. By the way, we had Razor Fist, Jeffro, and John C. Wright on the show a couple weeks ago, like the epic hour and a half show. Uh, John C. Wright has agreed to come back on if we uh, to get those three back together again. So um, again, that'll that that won't happen to sometime in the middle of April. So that that was an amazing show, by the way. Everybody should go and listen to that after this one is over. Um, now let me, let me explain why I invited you back on the show, because, uh, I have met a lot of colorful individuals through the Pulp Revolution discussions on Twitter, on, uh, Google plus recently on Castalia house. Um, I've written a couple of pieces for Castalia house. So, um, you know, people want to check it out. It's not like you're blowing up the front page or anything. (laughs) I've written a couple of small pieces for uh, Castelli House, and um, it, we meet a lot of people in the comments of, of these pieces. So uh, I've been interested to, to kind of, you know, the people I've gotten to know really well who I haven't already had on the show, uh, I've been asking on the show uh, one at a time. And then anybody, you know, other authors that I know or who know uh, that Brian knows um, have also agreed to come on. But that's why I asked you to come on is because I met you through the um, through the Pulp Revolution. It's not necessarily that we have to talk about it, but but I thought, hey, he's interesting. Why don't I have him on the show? Because I, I've uh, been following you since Gamergate. Um, and it, it's probably been like, I don't know, two years since I started following you, maybe a little bit less. But I never really used Twitter before like last year. But I figured that if I'm going to do this audiobook thing independently and not go with like a production company or something like that or try to get, you know, jobs elsewhere, try to get commission work, I'm going to need to step up my online presence. So I, I started using Twitter a little bit more frequently. Oh, so it's just a coincidence. You, you didn't jump on Twitter because it was 2016 like the rest of us. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I did not. I did not jump on Twitter because it was current year. <laughs> <laughs> 2016 was a very special year. We'll never forget it. Um, I want to give you a chance because I love it when you talk about this. I want to give you a chance to talk about it. I hear there's a really great audiobook of The Lord of the Rings on Audible. 
<laughs> okay. Um, actually, like I have, I have mixed feelings about that audiobook. Uh, my biggest problem with it is that it's the only one. Uh, all of the rest of the stuff on Audible, at least, you know, is dramatization. So they're like three or four hours, and usually they have a full cast or something like that. That one is all read by one guy, and he's got a great storyteller voice. It's like uh, it's like Stefan Rudnicki, who's someone I have a little bit of a grudge against, but I'll, I'll set that aside for now. Um, he, he's got a great storyteller voice. You could sit there and listen to this guy read a story for hours. He's not exactly the most exciting or entertaining voice, but you know it, he really has the perfect voice for The Lord of the Rings. Unfortunately, the dude doesn't do voice acting, so all of it's kind of difficult to differentiate between dialogue and prose. Um, and the recording is not the best. There's, you know, very little editing done. Um, you know, I can't tell if he flubbed lines and they cut it out uh, because it sounds like a solid audio file where the guy just sat down and read for like two hours and didn't make any mistakes, which is a phenomenal achievement. But I can, like, I listen at work on my earbuds, so I hear everything. And there's like construction work going on in the back of this recording and <laughs> like people walking through the room. I think I heard a dog at one point. I I've heard dishes clanging around. Like you, you just like the fellowship of the ring up until they get to, uh, uh, Elrond's house, which I can't remember the name from. I'm blanking on that for some reason. Rivendell also known Rivendell. as the uh, last homely house east of the sea. Yes, Rivendell. Um, before they get to Rivendell, you can hear just about all of the problems that I'm talking about. Um, from that point on, it's off and on. But I was listening to that, and it just it, it got under my skin so bad that I, like, I kind of went psycho on Twitter for, I don't know, about 15 minutes. <laughs> Did a little tweet storm trying to get my frustrations out about that, because like my my opinion on this kind of thing is when I produce an audiobook. I try very hard to get every line read perfectly. I do multiple takes if I have to. Um, I try to give each character a distinct voice. Uh, and I cut out breaths and mouth noises as much as possible. So occasionally there's some that you're not going to be able to, like occasionally your mouth will click and there's just nothing you can do without you know, going back and re-recording it. Um, and if you re-record that line and then put it in, it's going to have a different sound and it's going to be obvious that that's an edit and it kind of breaks immersion. So so maintaining sense of immersion in an audiobook is one of my biggest priorities when I produce one. And I try very, very hard to make it sound as professional as possible with the limited knowledge and setup that I have. And to hear somebody do one of the greatest stories ever written in the English language and have it put together so sloppily is just personally offensive. Like, yeah, I was triggered. <laughs> that that triggered me right there. I, I was just, I was very upset about that because in my opinion, uh, not just J.R.R. Tolkien himself, but the work itself, more respect than that. And if you can't bring that level of respect to a project, don't even try, Just just go home. You know, and like if they had got a competent editor for that audiobook and then got like voice actors to do the individual characters and then put it together as this big production of the, uh, you know, um, unabridged audiobook, it would have been great. Because the guy, like I said, the guy has a great prose reading voice. 
His voice acting isn't great. He doesn't do voices. It's hard to differentiate between characters. It's just, there's so many problems that I have with that audiobook. But it's the only unabridged audiobook of The Lord of the Rings out there. So you're kind of stuck. Um, how is the Dune audiobook? Because it is, it has a cast. I mean, it's fully voiced. Do they do a good job with that, or is it? I haven't listened to the Dune audiobook yet, but um, some things I do know. I have read reviews on on Audible of it, and apparently, uh, <clears throat> they had a full cast for parts, and then they got the narrator Scott Brick, uh, who is a consummate professional. He's amazing. I've got his uh, audiobook of um, Lord Fowl's Bane, which is the first Thomas Covenant book, uh, which is excellent you should all go read or listen to that audiobook um scott brick does an amazing job he's a great narrator it's very professionally done there's like very few uh, i didn't hear a single flubbed lines and the mouth noises and breaths are kept to an absolute minimum um so given the quality of scott brick's work which you can find him at brickbybrickaudio.com um but given the quality of scott brick's work i I would recommend picking up the Dune audiobook, but just be aware, according to the comments that I read of people that have listened to it and reviewed it, uh, there are parts in that book where he just reads everything, and there are other parts where it actually has a full cast. So you're you're kind of, you know, one foot in, one foot out with that one. Uh, you said something interesting when you were talking about doing your own recordings. It sounds like you when you work on a book, you're maintaining a balance between immersion and quality of, of sound, saying that you re-record things occasionally and everything. So when you're doing a book, what's sort of, what's your breaking point? Do you record paragraphs at a time or chapters at a time or, or something else? Uh, usually the way I do it, I have two audio uh, software setups that I use. I use Audacity. This is just my personal stuff. Um, when I'm working with uh, with my partner Christopher Warren at DimensionBucket.com, um, <clears throat> he's the sound engineer over there, and he's better than I am. So if anybody wants a really good audiobook done and you want it read by me, uh, go through DimensionBucket.com because we'll be able to hook you up with like he's also a music composer and he does he does uh, music tracks for the books that we put together. Um, and his, his audio editing, well, I, I do the actual editing, like cutting out flubs and stuff like that and, and voice, uh, mouth noises and breaths. Uh, but he mixes everything and he's a much better mixer than I am. So when I record my personal audio projects, uh, I record in audacity, which is a free software that you can find just by Googling audacity. <clears throat> and I like audacity because it's noise removal function is total slash and burn. So you get a good 10 seconds or so of room tone, which is just complete silence at the beginning of the recording. And then you select that and you run the noise removal program and it cuts everything out and it sounds great. And then I take it into Reaper, which is the most user-friendly uh, audio editing interface I've ever had experience with. Um, it's way better than Audacity for editing and uh, like stuff like uh, equalization and compression and stuff like that. Um, but I'm sorry, what was it? What was the question I kind of got? <laughs> so, uh, I, I was just trying to figure out. Uh, no, that's really uh, fascinating. I was just trying to figure out where. How do you break it up? How do you maintain that quality while still oh, keeping well, the immersion? Well, um, usually the way that I run it is I actually built a sound booth. Well, I, you could be really um, 
charitable and call it a sound booth. I call it my audio slave tent because uh, I just went to Lowe's and picked up some lumber and set up this little box over my computer and draped some blankets and and a uh, uh, sleeping bag over it. Um, and then whenever I want to record something, I just cut off my air conditioner, uh, pull down the, the flaps on the side, the blankets on the side, and then I do it by chapter. Um, so I'll start out with the opening and ending credits, and usually I'll put that in one track and then cut it into two so I can send it off properly to whoever I'm whoever I'm doing the audiobook for. But when I get to actually recording the whole thing, I'll do full chapters and a, a secret to recording audiobooks that you don't hear a whole lot is turn the gain on your mic down. Because um, uh, there, there are certain people out there, like once again, Stefan Rudnicki, who's someone that I'm, you know, I have problems with. Uh, he records everything in a complete monotone voice. So when he's telling a story, there's, there's one out on... Uh, I don't remember if it was Nightmare Magazine or uh, the, the the science fiction fantasy one, but it's about the greatest hitman in the world. And it doesn't have any character dialogue. It's just a story, you know, like I guess third person omniscient is the perspective uh, about this this hitman who lives on an island and people come to him and ask him to, to do hits for them. Uh, with that kind of book or with a book like uh, Aaron Clary's uh, Enjoy the Decline, he would do very well with that kind of book because there's not really any dialogue that you have to record. Um, but when it comes to dialogue, my personal approach is to do voice acting. And sometimes it calls for a character to yell. So what I'll do is I'll turn the gain on my mic way down and then back up from the mic a little bit. And then I'll put on the voice and I'll scream the line out. And I'll try to scream it about five or eight different times, basically until the audio stops clipping. And once I get an unclipped uh, version of the line, then I can use that and it'll still sound like the character is, is screaming at the line at some, like the uh, Catherine Kimbridge Chronicles is kind of military sci-fi kind of. Uh, so there are a lot of like Marines and grunts and, you know, they do a lot of that hoorah stuff. Uh, so I try to, I try to bring that across in the, in the performance. Um, but usually I'll just go by chapter and I'll read it out. And as I'm going, if I screw up a line, then I'll go back and I'll re-record the line. And I'm not one of those people who will speak in an audiobook recording like I'm speaking right now. Like I'm talking and then, you know, I'll take a breath like that and continue. I don't do that. I take deep breaths and then I read the line and then I stop and then I take a deep breath and then I read the next line and then I take a deep breath and I read the next line. And then when I go in and I do my editing, I cut all of those deep breaths out and I put everything closer together so it flows, you know, not exactly like natural speech, but enough to maintain the immersion of the storytelling. And then when I get to dialogue, if I have to take a breath in the middle of dialogue or, or you know, sigh because it says, you know, this character sighed and then, you know, there's a sentence of dialogue, I'll start that line of dialogue off with a sigh to make it seem like, you know, this is actually a performance. This isn't just some guy reading a book. Well, for anyone who thinks that there isn't an art form to voice acting folks, take a lesson. One thing I was going to ask Jim, what's your avatar? Oh, my avatar is uh, my creepypasta persona from back when I was um, back when I was recording creepypasta, which I won't touch with a 10-foot pole now for various reasons. But uh, back then, I, I have a friend, uh, Lethal Aurora Mage, and she's a very, very good artist. I don't know if she's doing commissions. You know, you might have to find her DeviantArt account or her, her Tumblr or something like that and ask her about it. Uh, but 
she offered to do a, a character for me, a persona, so that I could be like the rest of the narrators. Because if you go into the Creepypasta narration community, everybody has an avatar. Mr. Creepypasta has one, Creepypasta Jr. has one, Miss Shadow Lovely has one. All of these people have, you know, an avatar, and that's how they kind of present themselves, and they maintain the mask. Uh, and I didn't have one. I was just kind of running around with a zero avatar from Mega Man X. <laughs> and, it works and, she, and, and she offered to make me one. And I was like, well, I can't really pay you. And she's like, no, you're a friend. I'll, I'll go ahead and do it for you. And she came back with that because uh, she knew I smoked. So uh, I don't know what the backstory is there. I never really came up with one. But uh, I thought it looked really, really cool. And I really appreciate uh, her doing that for me. So I just started using that as my my general avatar. Uh, she also um, made the chibi avatar that I use on Twitter. Uh, everything that you're talking about, as far as um, as far as editing things together, is exactly why we do this show live and not recorded. Um, <laughs> About a year before I started doing Geek Gab, me and Dornall sat down and did like three different 10-minute, 15-minute uh, segments. And it took me for to edit together a 15-minute segment to get things to where it sounded decent. It took me about three or four hours of work in, uh, in an editing program. Uh, I use Fission on the Mac. Um, and it's, it's a good program. It's not a bad program at all. I've used far worse programs, but... I just, I am not willing to sit there for six hours and edit this show to make it audio perfect. That's just way too much time. Uh, and the only way I could give myself a reason to not have to do that is to broadcast the show live. Then I don't have to worry about it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I, I totally understand. I would honestly, I would do the same thing with my podcast. It would make things a lot simpler. Like if you listen to Aaron Clary's podcast, which by the way, uh, he does curse. Like he has a, he has a, uh, the curseful and the curse free podcast. So he does like two podcasts a week. Um, but he doesn't edit anything. He just sits there with the microphone and he talks into it for like an hour, hour and a half. And then he just uploads the full audio file. Um, I, I can't do that because I have, uh, I, I'm kind of, you're probably getting a, a taste of that in this, in this podcast, but I, I have a lot of pauses and ums and ahs when I speak. And I, I think I would be doing a disservice to the audience if I just left all of that in Like doing, doing a live show is different because you're, you're trying to get a flavor of the person as they are. Um, without, you know, any bells and whistles or any editing or anything like that. But when it's when it's my own personal production, I, I don't feel like subjecting people to like, you know, 10 second long silences followed by. Uh, so, yeah, where was I? Um, you know, that, that kind of thing happens very frequently when I'm recording and I just go in, you know, usually I'll record on Thursdays and I'll go in and edit that part out. And if I don't have enough time to edit the whole thing, like if I do an extra long podcast and I've got Friday to record, then I try to get it uploaded on Saturday. Um, so I try to give myself a little bit of time to get everything polished up. I don't, I don't feel like doing this, this audio dump where it's just completely, you know, 100% stream of consciousness with no edits at all. It, it just seems kind of unprofessional to me, but like I say, your, your method is completely different and there's, there's nothing, you know, necessarily better about my approach. So I'm not trying to slam you guys for, for the way that you do things over here on geek gab. It's, it's a great show and I, I do love listening to it. Well, that's no insult at all. And the other podcast I used to be on semi-regularly, we just record on the fly. And, and first, everybody else would just get all liquored up. You know, just do, 
different <laughs> buzzed and we just got it for like three hours and it's like oh no someone just like walked in and slammed the door yeah that's okay keep going oh the cat knocked over a bunch of stuff in the background yeah it's fine we'll get it in post we'd never get it in post <laughs> there was no post um i don't drink alcohol uh, i'm lds so i don't drink alcohol but um one of the things i've noticed is that when people are kind of nervous or stiff um that they're being on the air makes people nervous and stiff and they're a lot less um relaxed the conversation flows a lot more roughly than it does when you're just talking to them off the air and so i can understand why someone getting taking a drink or two before doing a podcast would actually help because it kind of for some people it kind of relaxes them kind of loosens them up yeah, that's honestly why I'm drinking right now because like I, I respect all of you guys a lot and I have no idea why you wanted to get me on the podcast. <laughs> so I was, I was a little nervous going into it. You know, oh my God, why did these guys want to talk to me? Um, so I, I just had a little bit of a little bit of whiskey to kind of even things out and cut down on the nervousness and that kind of thing. So well, you, you did a glowing review of an ethereal. <laughs> so the flattery will, will get you everywhere. It's good I, I, I did enjoy that book immensely, immensely. I, I really, I literally could not put it down. There, there were times where I, I, I would like walk around my house with my Kindle in front of my face, and I would like trip over tables and stuff because I was concentrating on the story so much. Well, it's it's a good thing that you did because I, I, I gave Brian crap for this a lot when I first read it. Is that I did put the book down. Like I, I took like a month break in between. Uh, starting it and finishing it. And when I picked it back up, I was like, I have no idea what any of this is and what's going on. And it made that much made it that much harder to read through the the end. <laughs> also the sinister conspiracy of your cat. <laughs> yeah, the cat didn't freaking help either. Um I don't think we've had another voiceover artist on the show. Uh, other than Adam Baldwin, but I I don't think he I don't think he counted as a <laughs> Yeah, he's more of, a, people more of a straight actor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he did a great job with Larry Korea's uh, Tom Strange book. Did a great job, but he wasn't producing oh. it himself. Oh, really? Adam Baldwin it. read one of Larry Korea's books? Yeah. He read uh, Larry Korea's short story. It's an Audible original, so it's only available on Audible right now. It's oh, his man. Tom Stranger interdimensional insurance agent. I have uh, got to pick this up. It, it is phenomenal. It is amazing. Adam, Adam does a bunch of different voices. And at one point, he, uh, you remember the sergeant from Full Metal Jacket that Baldwin was in? Yeah, um, Arlie Ermey. Yeah, he does a, an imitation of Arlie Ermey because he's a character in the story. And it is <laughs> spot on. It is amazing. That's awesome. He also does a manatee at points. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's an actual thing. That, that's just not. That's not just a Twitter thing. That's an actual thing. A manatee. A manatee. They're real creatures. They really exist in Florida. No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're actually mermaids. A lot of people don't know that. It'll make sense. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we haven't had a, a an audio producer. Really, someone did. So it's a new subject we can talk about. We try to keep things, you know, try to change things up. So. Let me ask you this question. Um, how did you get involved? We're, we're over time, and I, I've officially declared I don't care right now. Um, then again, I've only had four hours of sleep. Now, I haven't had three like Brian, but I have only had four. So I'm a little bit, a little bit, 
I'm emulating a, a slight level of drunkenness right now. So, <laughs> well, I'm, um, I'm good to go for as long as you guys are. I, I like I have nothing to do today. So, I I did want to talk a little bit about the Pulp Revolution before we go. How how did you get involved in that? How did you uh, hear about that? <clears throat> Honestly, I don't remember. I'm really bad with remembering how like how I met people and how I, you know, got into certain things. Um, I'm just I'm just horrible because it happens and then it becomes a part of my life and then it's it's there and I don't worry about what happened in the past. I'm I'm here now. Uh, but so far as I can remember, and I might might be a little off, but um, I started I started using Twitter and of course I, I follow you, Daddy Warpig. Um, and I think you started talking about Kirsova. Uh, you started reblogging Kirsova magazine, um, and. I went and checked it out, and it looked really, really cool. And the guy who who runs the account, Alexander, uh, seems like a really, really cool guy. Uh, so I started following his Twitter, and I picked up a couple of issues of the magazine, and I saw the Pulp Revolution stuff going around. And then through Kirsova and you, I I found like Brian and like PC Bushi and John Mollison and a bunch of other people. And I was like, oh, oh, hell, there's a scene developing here. And these people have some really, really, really good fiction. I need to get in on this. <laughs> so uh, I just, uh, like, science fiction and fantasy has always been something that's been in the back of my life. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's one of my favorite genres of fiction. I've been reading it since I was a little, little kid. And it, it's just kind of always been there. And I had no idea that this whole SJW takeover was going on with the with the genre for pretty much the entire time I've been alive plus some years uh, so I, I've just kind of grown up in this place where I'll read stuff like Robin Hobb or Douglas Adams or J.R.R. Tolkien or Frank Herbert and I'll really really enjoy that stuff and then the stuff that comes out today is like okay well it's alright but it's not as good as, as this stuff that I've been reading you know these, these quote unquote classics and then this stuff comes out, and, you know, I read Kirsova magazine, and I read Nathariel, and, you know, I'm reading uh, John Mollison's first story. Uh, it's amazing. It's great stuff. I just, I didn't know that writers like this still existed. And I've just thought, like, I do a little bit of writing. We're actually going to be publishing stuff in March, um, hopefully, under under Dimension Bucket. Um, there'll be a... There'll be a uh, anthology coming out with like three short stories for me in it um <clears throat> but uh we need we need to be more of us we need to grow <laughs> well i'm not i'm not sure that i'm comparable to you know someone like you brian but uh i, I decided that you know this this is something that for all of my life like uh like internet aristocrats said back when gamergate was happening when he was releasing his conspiracy videos you know these people have come in and defiled something that we consider holy and for the longest time i didn't realize it but you know sci-fi and fantasy is something that i consider holy it's it's had a huge influence on my life it's my favorite genre of fiction because i don't really distinguish between sci-fi and fantasy now that i've read you know jack vance mm -hmm. um and nethereal nethereal completely blows all of that out of the water but uh you know, this is something that I consider holy, and if I can get in on the movement that's trying to make it actually fun again, 
that's exactly where I want to be. This is something that I've been looking for for a long time. You know, this is uh, for a long time. I tried being a YouTuber or I went to college with the intention of doing, you know, uh, religious sociology. And then that kind of fell through and I just stopped getting interested in it after a while. Uh, and I've just had this long string of things that I thought I was interested in that I could do for the rest of my life. And then this comes along and it's like, well, this has been in the background of my entire life, literally my entire life. It's been constant throughout all of these things that have come and gone. And this is something that I can definitely 110% do for the rest of my, I could see myself being an old man still writing, you know, blog posts on, on my website or, you know, writing, writing fantasy stories and stuff like that. Uh, so I figured that this is where I want to be. If we're gonna, if we're going to actually try and make fiction great again, make science fiction and fantasy great again, that's the that's the movement that I want to be associated with because those people are are doing God's work right there. And uh, <laughs> I would rather be on the side of the angels than the side of the people who want to destroy the thing that I consider holy. This Volt brother. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed that. Uh, the pulp revolution scene is growing really, really quickly. Um, oh, definitely. There there, are, like, I'm, I'm amazed at the podcast that I did with Jeffro. Like, I, you know, you go on Twitter and you, you interact. There's like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 of us out there uh, that have varying degrees of interest and involvement. But then I go and I look at the numbers on my website for that podcast that I did with Jeffro. There's over 300 views on that. This this scene is a lot bigger than I initially thought it was, and there's a lot more interest than I had counted on. Well, you know why? I mean, you just got to get these books into the hands of readers. Just consider my case where I come from. Yeah, okay, I, I, I picked up Nathaniel and, and read that, you know, because um, uh, of, of Brian and the show and everything, and, and I loved it. And then we... Uh, we had uh, what's his name, Sky Hernstrom. On we talked to him. I went and read that Kursova uh, thing. This stuff is good, uh, especially after uh, I had in between those two uh, books, I had read A Princess of Mars. I was on a plane trip and I, I had that on my my Kindle app on my phone. I read A Princess of Mars and I'm like, wow, this stuff, this is astounding. And then, uh, I mean, and Ethereal and Sky Hernstrom's uh, stuff in the Kursova magazine. And uh, Thune's vision, right? That that stuff compares favorably to um, stuff like Edgar Rice Burroughs, A Princess of Mars, or at least in the same. It's in the same ballpark. And so, oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, we, yeah. What we're dealing with is the truth. When you just put this stuff in people's hands and say, "Hey, I know this is old stuff," and I know that they don't always teach this stuff in your English class in school, but check it out. It's really good. And and the more people just read this stuff. You don't even have to make any noise or pretense about it. Just, Hey, this is good stuff. People yeah. are going to keep running. And I mean, I like, I, this is kind of a, this is kind of a divergence from the point, but you brought up Sky Hernstrom. Uh, I'm so grateful that he exists. I absolutely adore Shula Hernstrom's work. And I, I keep saying that guy is the, the Robert E. Howard. He's the Edgar Rice Burroughs of this generation. He's he's writing stuff that like I I recently went and read uh, I hadn't done a lot of reading of Conan uh, before I found the Pulp Revolution but I recently recorded um, the Phoenix on the Sword which is going to be coming out like I say mid March we're we're planning this huge dump of a bunch of stuff uh, and you know reading that after reading Schuler Hernstrom it's like all right now I see where this guy's coming from 
you know, it, it really, his stories in Thune's vision really do read like, like a Conan story. Um, it, it's crazy how good this guy is and he needs to, he needs to keep, keep doing what he's doing. Also, Abraham Strong John needs to write more. Just saying, like, I love his, uh, his story in Kirsova number one, the, uh, the space princess, you know, science fantasy story that he put together. It was, it, it blew me away. It was so good. And I went and looked him up on Amazon. And the only thing he's got, uh, besides Kirsova is a, uh, parody story called no lives matter, which is, uh, a, a civil rights struggle, you know, featuring Lovecraft monsters. <laughs> um, I, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to reading it, but you know, I was hoping that he might've had like a novel or an anthology of short stories out there like Sky Hernstrom does, but Unfortunately not. So that that guy needs to write more. But but yeah, no, everybody should go and read Shua Hernstrom's Thune's Vision. So I have a question from the comments, really really quick. Do you recommend Robin Hobb? Uh, it depends on what you're going for. Um, Robin Hobb's fantasy stuff is kind of, I don't necessarily want to say esoteric. I enjoy her work a lot. Um, you know the Assassins, uh, the Assassins trilogy. Um, the live ship traders series and the, uh, uh, the tawny man trilogy. That was the other one. Those are the big three, big three trilogies in her, in her little mythos, but she created her own little world and she drew maps for it. And, you know, there's not necessarily different languages, but the kingdoms that she came up with and in assassin's apprentice and that the assassins trilogy, there's a lot of like court intrigue and stuff like that. So it takes place in a fantasy world, but there's not like elves and dwarves and wizards running around. Like there's only two types of magic in this world. And one gives you the ability to like, cure people from long distances and speak to people from long distances and it's called the skill and then there's another one called the wit which the wit is looked down on because it's seen as bestial and it, it allows you to communicate with animals and stuff and bond with a certain animal that you know basically becomes your familiar but it's a little bit more in-depth than that like they're your best friend and like you share minds with them and stuff like that it's it's a really really interesting series uh, and I recommend her. I think she's a very good writer. Her one real problem with writing is that she likes to do expo dumps. Um, oh. So every book you'll get, you know, you'll get the backstory. If you pick up the third book in the series, you'll pretty much get the backstory. Uh, but it doesn't really compare to actually going and reading it yourself. But if you've read all of the books in the series, there's going to be parts in that book where it's like, why are we talking about this? We already know. But yeah, I would, I, I would, uh... would recommend Rob Bob. I read the Assassin. The first, I think, the first two Assassins books. The third one wasn't published in high school, and I enjoyed them. I tried reading um, Live Ship Traders about four years ago, five years ago, because Orson Scott Card recommended it heavily, and I couldn't get through the first chapter because it was just, it was heavy yeah. with world building and stuff. I'm not saying it's bad fantasy. I, in fact, I want to draw a, a kind of a comparison between it and like the pulp, uh, pulp revolution stuff. Um, I like books that start moving right out of the gate. There's another author who is very, very big right now, very, very popular, but who just has nothing happening for tens of thousands of words. Nothing happens. And it makes me want to scream. I'm like, can we get some action in here? Is there some combat anywhere near in the future, or at least conflict? Like open, you don't have to have people stabbing each other to have an interesting story. People who are in open conflict uh, socially, like yelling at each other or whatever, trying to get stuff done. 
It's something to where people are doing something. Can we get that going? And um, yeah, I mean, that's, very, that's kind of a problem with Robin Hobbs books. Like the the Assassins trilogy is a lot more about court intrigue. The Life Ship Traders is more uh, of a romance story, honestly. Um, it, it's still, it's still good. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for romance anyway. I love that kind of stuff. Um, but oh, you need to read soul dancer then. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just caught up reading Suma Helvetica right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that makes them bad authors because they're both quite good authors, both very popular, but it's the theme. This is why I like Pulp Revolution material is even like I'm read, just read finished uh, Ship of Ishtar by Abraham Merritt. And mm. the very first scene in the book, um, the guy ends up in this fantastic place. Um, he gets there. It's a very short scene. The second scene in the book is two individuals who are avatars of deities in tough, uh, not fighting, not combat, but in conflict, conflict with each other. There's things going on. There's people who have passion and have goals, and they're clashing right on the deck of this mystical ship traveling through this mysterious ocean for various reasons. Right off the bat, he doesn't wait. He doesn't world build. There's no setup there. It just kind of yeah. happens, and you get thrown in feet first, and you better swim or drown. And and it's not complicated. You don't have to understand five thousand different, you know, elvish pronouns to understand what's going on. It just starts off with a bang. And I've been told that it's bad form to slag down authors, but I remember I read all four volumes of Tad Williams' Otherland series. Um, and I went back to try and read it again, and the first 20 pages, 20, 20 pages in the hardbound, hardback version of the first book, literally nothing happens. The guy is wandering around in the what seems to be the trenches of World War I. Literally nothing happens. It's all discussion. It's all description. Nothing goes on. And I'm just thinking... 20 pages is too damn long for nothing to be going on in this book. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I was I'm, uh, in my own writing. I'm more of a fan of in media res. Uh, mm. Like I, I found out that that was a thing and I was like, okay, this is obviously how I'm going to do all my stuff from now on. You know, <laughs> because it's a, it's a lot more exciting to start it, you know, throw directly in the, uh, in the, in the middle of the conflict. And then, you know, we'll work out the backstory later. You know, because that, like, that uh, really does reach out and grab the reader and pull them in. You definitely know I, I approve of that. I think it was Dashiell Hammett. But if not, it was one of the other noir writers who said, you know, when you're uh, uncertain of what's going to happen in your story, have a man come through the door with a gun. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and obviously they're writing like detective stories, uh, something like Maltese Falcon or whatever. Um and if you're writing Pulp Revolution, even if you're in a fantasy era, that's that's really doable. You can do that if you want. Um, Sky Hernstrom has some stuff like that. It's really awesome. But but think about that in a grander sense, in a larger sense. Not literally talking about a man with a you know Colt 1911 pistol. If you're at a loss for what's going on in a story, have something happen. 
And it's something, when someone comes through a door with a gun, what are they talking about? They're immediately threatening the life of your protagonist. There's immediately some combat, because the gun's in their hand. They're pointing it at you. There's violent intent, or at least the intent to intimidate. Yeah, like, honestly, you immediately um, raise... Sorry, go ahead. You immediately raise the stakes for your character. Something happens. They have to respond. That's not something they can just be calm about. Yeah, like honestly, if, if you get into a if you get into a, a a kind of writer's block moment with your with your fantasy or sci-fi story, you could go to a system like I don't I don't know like maybe I, I haven't looked into GURPS, but you could go to GURPS or you know Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, and you could just find the wandering monster table. Depending on on your personal setting, it's gonna it's gonna depend, and then you could just roll up a wandering monster that comes by. Or, or make your own your own table for whenever you get into a uh, into a writer's block situation, and then you know roll on your table and oh. whatever the dice comes up with that that happens next, and your characters have to deal with it. And something along similar lines, <laughs> he was in Rebel Without a Crew. He came up with a, a method using like index cards to get past writer's block, like just you know get real store get three different colors of three by five index cards and have and like a character pile and a conflict pile and you know just shuffle them up or just write down you know d different character archetypes you know different different settings and stuff and like okay and then you just you deal them out you pick one card from each stack and it's like okay where are we okay we're we're in a bedroom okay well who's there it's like okay the, the protagonist and the relationship character and the relationship character's wife. Oh, okay. Well, what's <laughs> going on here? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It is. It's, he's got a lot of useful tips that also apply to writing. And that's one thing, getting back to one thing Daddy Warpick was saying, a lot of people conflate action with violence. And they're definitely not the same thing. One's a subset of the other. Yeah, You definitely. can have it. Yeah, right. You you can have a, a perfectly tense, just edge of your seat, nail biting, white knuckled scene where no fisticuffs are exchanged, and there's no gunfire, not even necessarily any words. You just need a tense situation. I know, you you did this very well in Nefarial, especially with the scenes with uh, Suleiman. That that character, I I really really enjoyed that character. Um, but oh, yeah, there were a lot of there were a lot of. <laughs> moments in in nefarial where you know no like people were threatening to do violence but no violence ever happened but it was still like okay you know i'm chewing on my nails here i'm just sliding up further on my seat you know what happens next what happens next what happens next you know and and no blows are ever exchanged no one comes away with a shiner or a bloody nose or anything like that no one dies but it's still one of the most intense interactions between this group of characters that you've ever seen in your life well, I thought you did particularly well in the, the sample chapter you sent me. It's chapter one with Nakvin and the, the other Magus where, where she's robbing him. I thought you infused that with a lot of latent tension. Uh, thank you. I, I wasn't really doing that consciously. I was just kind of reading it as it as it appeared to me. But, you know, uh, I, I appreciate that. And like I say, I hope you're, uh, you're still considering me for the audiobook of that because I would love to work on Ethereal. That, that would be a, a serious feather in my cap right there just because the book is so good. Um, all right, folks, we are running out of time. we got about four minutes left. So, um, 
before we take off for today, uh, do you have any last words, Jim? Uh, not, not particularly other than to say, you know, thank you guys a lot for having me on the show. Like I say, I'm still baffled as to why you wanted to talk to me. I'm, I'm just some nobody on the internet, but you know, I really do appreciate you bringing me on to the show. It's been nice to actually finally talk to you guys, you know, after interacting with you on Twitter for all of these months, you know, it's good. To, it's good to sit down and have a discussion with you. It's been a lot of fun. Sorry. We were all sleep deprived and everything for you. Oh, <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> Any last words, Brian? Yeah, I uh, wanted to say thanks to Jim for coming on. And also thanks to everybody who participated in John Mollison's 3 for 3 Amazon Review Bomb yesterday, where participants chose three books, preferably by indie authors, and wrote like three statements about each one. There's a short three-sentence Amazon review of each one. So got a lot of love for the Soul Cycle. Uh, Nathiriel is now at darn near 60 reviews, just needs one more. Soul Dancer is over the halfway point to the magic 50 review number. And uh, even even Secret King's the newest one is uh, climbing up there in terms of the review totals. And uh, and, and you, can, uh, you can still do that today, folks. You know. Yeah, you can do that any time. Yeah, so. that, that, can, that can continue. You know, spread the love around. Pay it forward. Yeah, um, it, it really helps. It does. It, especially the authors leaving reviews helps uh, bump up their books in Amazon's algorithm and helps them compete with uh, the big boys. Any, uh, any last words, uh, John? No, nah, I'm good. I mean, no, thanks for coming on, Jim. Uh, it was great talking to you. Really interesting to hear about sort of the, you know, the behind the scenes of the business of, of doing audiobooks. I'm always interested in the behind of the scenes of anything. Uh, but it was a great pleasure talking to you and, and as always with my co-hosts. Yeah, no problem. Same to you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk real quick about the future, folks. Right now, we have uh, Jason Rennie, hopefully scheduled for next week. Rick Stump after that. Rob Kreese after that. Yakov Merkin after that, and then um, Nathan Nathan Housley, one of the three preeminent historians of of the Pope Revolution, scheduled for sometime in early April, and also sometime in early April. We're hoping. Um, a return of the uh, of Razor Fist, John C. Wright, and uh, Jeffro to come in and uh, talk some more about pulp history and stuff. Um, so that's uh, that's what we're looking at. Again, all those are tentative. Things may change. But uh, John C. Wright, again, like I said earlier, has already agreed to come on and do another show. We just have to get a hold of Razor Fist and uh, Jeffro. We... Oh. Right, right, quick, right, quick, right before you before you do the outro. Um, I I know I know that Jeffro is listening, and I wanted to thank him very much for all of the uh the free press essentially that he's given me on his blog and uh, via Castalia House. That uh, that does mean a lot, and you know I, I would rather thank you in person, but uh, you know Twitter DMs seem kind of um kind of clunky for that kind of thing or, or wrong form. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I do I do want to thank you for for uh for I guess pimping my blog on uh, on Castalia House and and your website. So yeah, thanks a lot, Jeffro. <laughs> um, this is Geek Gab, folks. We're here about every week. Uh, generally, we're going to be doing it about the same time. We hope, barring you know problems and emergencies like happened last week. Um, it's about three p.m. Eastern uh, on Saturdays. We're here usually for about half an hour. Come and listen to us live. The benefit of listening to us live is you can, in fact, participate in the chat. There's a lot of great conversations that happen only in the chat. Uh, it's not 
always directly about stuff that's going on in the show. So, um, you know, come and listen live, get involved in the chat, and uh, if you have questions, we take those and and uh, pass them along to the guests so you can get some questions answered. We are available at youtube.com slash geekgab, youtube.com slash geekgab. Very, very simple. And you can get all uh, 89 episodes of our show, plus one tiny little um, play stream I did for for uh, Fallout 4, um, just to show some stuff off in, in Fallout 4. Um or we are available on SoundCloud on the internet. You can get us on Geek Gab. Just do a search. You can subscribe to the podcast through the iTunes store. Just do a search for Geek Gab. And we're also available on the Google Play Store. Again, just do a search for Geek Gab. We're available in all of those places. Wherever you like to get your listening from, we have you covered. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are leaving for today. We're signing out. The conversation is over but even though we're leaving don't you fret we will be back